listening to the Hello Awesome Podcast, and this is episode number 152. Welcome back, everybody. I am your host, JC Lee Pulford, and we are doing this thing. We are getting through this last season, season 10 of the Hello Awesome Podcast, and my heart is swollen. It's so full. I am trying not to cry. Um, every time I'm behind this microphone because I'm realizing that uh, I'm not going to be doing this um, like I have been the last four years. And so that's definitely bittersweet for me. But it is exactly what the Lord has wanted me to do. And God has been showing up and confirming his word over and over and over again. And I can't wait for you to hear this episode. It is going to change your life. But before I do, I am here to remind you once again that I am collecting podcast reviews so that I can compile a really cool celebration send-off episode, the last episode at the end of the season. So if you have been blessed by this podcast, by the topics, by the guests that I have had, I want you to share that with me, please. Either a written review or a voice memo to my email, helloawesomeshop at gmail.com or DM it to me on Instagram at helloawesomelive so I can get that compiled and added to this last episode of the season. It's going to be good. So my guest today used to be a Playboy bunny, but now she is a full-on apostolic godly woman on fire for him. Guys, let me tell you that this discussion is so needed in the church today and in the world. Honestly, you guys are going to be changed by my guest, Jacqueline St. Clair. Dr. J speaks into childhood trauma as an abuse survivor, how it led to her hypersexual experiences, but how God dealt with her about modesty before even stepping foot into a church. She also talks about giving a voice to the unthinkable, how she had to learn to be bold sharing her testimony, and also what God has taught her about beauty standards. This is such a powerful conversation and one that is needed in today's world and in today's culture, especially here in the church. So here we go, guys. This is episode number 152 that I am calling Trauma Healing with Jacqueline St. Clair. Hey guys, I'm JC. Are you ready for real conversations about faith, business, and life? Me too. This is the Hello Awesome podcast where I bring forth topics and truthful insights that will encourage you to make intentional choices and pursue God with your whole heart. Are you ready to say hello to the awesome blessings that God has for you? All right, let's do this. This is the point where I usually share sponsored ads and all of my sponsors share their amazing deals that they have with you. But since this is the last season of the podcast, I just have to say thank you. Thank you so much for supporting these faith-based businesses these last four years. If you want to continue supporting anything, well, how about buying some of my books? If you go on Amazon, just type in my name, JC, J-A-C-Y, Pulford, P-U-L, 
F-O-R-D. And you will find all of my titles right there on Amazon. The awesome thing is if you have Prime, your books will ship in just a couple of days. I have on there some awesome devotions that will help you with your mental health, with forgiveness, with your power of influence. I also have Bible study guides if you're struggling with your devotion time or if you want to dive into the stories of seven ungodly women of the Bible. I almost forgot to share with you my modest fashion coloring books. I have three out right now, and the latest is a garden theme. It has florals, inspirational quotes, scriptures, and of course, beautiful modest fashion illustrations that anyone at any age can color and have fun with. Thank you guys for supporting the ministry of Hello Awesome. Be sure to check out my books on Amazon. And just because there won't be any new podcast episodes does not mean there won't be any new books. So be sure to check those out. Hey guys, welcome back to the Hello Awesome podcast. JC here. I cannot wait to talk to my next guest, Sister Jacqueline. I love your posts on Facebook. You are so vibrant and fun, but also so deep spiritually. And I can't wait to get inside your mind and what the Lord has done in your life. Um, Can you just take some time to share a little bit about who you are and what you do with everyone listening? Yes. First, I want to say thank you so much for having me on your podcast. I really enjoy um, communicating with everyone through a podcast platform because it's so broad and sometimes it even kind of overflows into uh, people just stumbling upon it through different podcasts that have no idea anything about Jesus or what being an apostolic is. And it's just a fantastic um, ministry platform. Um, I would like to start with a little bit of my bio. And um, with that, I am a pastor's wife. We have been on the evangelistic field off and on. Um, A mom of six adult children and two grands. Um, I do a lot of keynote speaking on trauma and Jesus. Um, I'm also an RBT therapist uh, with an emphasis on autism. And if you don't know what that is, that basically is just a therapist that studies behavioral sciences on what individual, um, I don't want to use the word prescription, but that's kind of what it is um, Mm -hmm. child that we just kind of design and and, um, evolve around each kid and how they um, learn and how they perceive the world coming from um, being on the spectrum. Yeah, I know we spoke a little bit about that online together because I have some amazing kiddos in my life who are on the spectrum and they're so very special and they often get, um, um, you know, kind of a bad rap because of just how they cannot control a lot of the things that they do. Um, That's but their mind is so uh, brilliant. And I love that you as a Christian woman and someone who loves Jesus are also looking into uh, how, how that, how their minds work and how you can help them. I think that's such a valuable thing to have, especially in the church today. Absolutely. And I would like to add that um, what kind of led me into the RBT therapy program for children on the spectrum is I have four, or I'm sorry, two out of my four uh, daughters actually are tested positive for being on the spectrum. They both have high functioning autism. So very different 
um, you know, perceptions between the two of them. They're very different girls, uh, very highly intelligent, but uh, they do have sensory processing issues mm-hmm. and also an emotional regulation issue. Um, so that me knowing, you know, the struggles with that kind of plummeted me into that direction of a career so that that way I could also help other struggling moms that maybe, you know, sitting at home in tears, wondering how are they going to navigate their world for their child? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's so important to have an advocate on our side as parents, especially when, you know, we're trying to do the best that we can. And sometimes when it comes to this sort of thing, obviously it's out of, out of our hands and out of our control. We can almost feel hopeless, but to exactly. have a voice um, and yeah. a heart who loves Jesus and is coming from, you know, a place of service and knowledge that's just so beneficial. Absolutely. So this season on the podcast, I'm doing something very different and I'm asking my guests just one question instead of a slew of questions. And it's inspired by Luke 1042, the story of Martha and Mary. And so, um, you know, Jesus tells Martha after she's complaining, you know, Lord, please, you know, make my sister come help me. Um, he of course, lovingly and gently, um, speaks to her and says, but one thing is needful and Mary hath chosen that good part, which shall not be taken away from her. Obviously we know Martha had a heart of service. She's trying to serve. She's trying to serve. Mary just wants to be with Jesus. And I think it's fair to say there's a balance there. Um, but I'm really, really curious. What is one thing that Jesus has taught you in the past year that you will never forget? Well, I would like to first uh, comment on the Martha and Mary story, specifically with uh, verse 42. Um, I believe that the story of Mary and Martha teaches us that we do, in fact, need to have a balance. We need to be both a Mary and a Martha. Mm-hmm. Uh, we need to work, but we also need to witness. But first, we have to spend time sitting at Jesus's feet, worshiping him, because if these two things become out of order, our life will be fruitless and our work will become just tedious and our witness will be void of power. Um, No matter how busy our lives get, we need to seek God first in everything that we do. And I think that was a a huge um, lesson for me when I was looking at verse 42 neither women were wrong. One, one being that she wanted to be hospitable and the other wanting to sit at Jesus's feet. But I think key is that number one, we need not to get those things twisted around upside down. Um, And I, and to answer your, uh, your question of what has Jesus taught me in this season, I actually was reflecting on verse 42 because at this time we are going through a very treacherous season. And, and we have been since February. Um, and God has taught me specifically to rely on him in absolutely everything. And I think as women, especially moms and wives in, in throwing ministry in there, um, we too often, you know, the social media world of instantaneous gratification can sometimes get our full attention 
Um, then you put the stress of jobs and bills and money. Um, all those things tie in. And although we wear many hats, if we're not careful, those things become our, our focus and our ministry and our spiritual life kind of trails somewhere off behind because at the end of the day, we are flesh and bone. And I think that our flesh is our absolute worst battleground on the earth. I really do. Um, If we can get our flesh under us, it makes life a little easier. Um, Fighting through darkness of depression was one of the things that I was dealing with uh, since February. And it's only been a couple of weeks since I actually um, was able to finally reach out and rely completely on God to pull us out. Um, What God has taught me is that without relying on him, that everything else is just something that can fall away. Nothing is rooted. Nothing is concrete. And we had become so reliant upon let's go to work and let's earn our paychecks and let's pay our bills. And in February, when my husband was fired for the first time in his life, Um, And then since I was working with him, they decided that I was going to be terminated as well, um, all based on some um, deceptions that, I mean, we had to hire a lawyer. So that's all I will say. We had to hire a lawyer. But that doesn't fix the fact that when we returned home from Chicago, from this job that we were doing, um, I would like to say my husband's a contractor. So we were, you know, um, doing um, remodeling a medical facility. Mm-hmm. And when we returned home, all of a sudden, um, you know, we're, we don't have any income. And we're both just applying and applying and applying for jobs. And one by one, um, you know, our electricity is cut off. And then the very next day, we had to make the decision, are we going to put food in our home? Or are we going to pay our cell bill? Well, we got to eat. We paid our, um, we let our cell bills go. So our phones were disconnected. These are all in a matter of um, just rapid fire, Um, you know, and then, then it was, you know, I'm getting ready to go to a job interview and I hear someone at my door and they're coming to pick up our car. They're going to repo our vehicle. So now we're no phone, no income, no vehicle. Mm. And then within um, a couple of days later, my husband comes into me. He said, well, since we're now behind on um, our rent on our home, I just got a text message that we have 10 days to vacate the premises. So at this point, I'm bawling my eyes out. I mean, I'm a woman, right? So yeah, yeah. emotional creature. And I'm, but I'm trying to be strong because I don't want to be a discouragement to my husband. And, um, you know, we're just, you know, he, he goes his way. I go mine and, and I'm, and I'm just collapsing at this point. So then I spiral into a depression and, you know, I had given up. I had completely given up. Um, I wasn't reaching out to anyone. Um, whenever I went to church, it was a struggle. And if anybody's ever been in that position of feeling hopeless and feeling dark and depressed about your circumstances that are around you, it's very hard when you go to church and you're trying to worship, you're trying to um, pray. It's very difficult because you're sitting in such a darkness of hopelessness and despair that you, you know, you need to worship and you know, you want the, com- the communication and the relationship with God, but it's almost nearly suffocating. The world stops. And we have been going through this, um, just this repetitive mess since February. And we just keep saying, God, why God, why, um, 
you know, our health is, you know, I'm, my health is going crazy. My husband's health is going crazy. And we were just fighting, um, you know, just fighting and wading through the storm. And finally, finally, I realized just with these last couple of weeks, and again, I'm not at liberty to say right now because it's, I'm going to let my husband make the public announcement. But now that we have gone through the storm and we've gone through all of these, these battles, um, God has, has rewarded us with an amazing opportunity. And we are just, I mean, we, we came together in family prayer the other night and we just, we weeped, we cried because we could not believe that all the storms that we've gone through and all, you know, and all the temper tantrums, I mean, you know, I'm going to be just so transparent with you during the storm. There was times that I go into my prayer closet and it's really dark and I'm just sitting there and, you know, and I, and I had verbalized to God, I said, God coming from the traumatic childhood background that I have, um, it's hard for me to trust anyone. And now I feel like I can't even trust you. And I had verbalized that to God, that I, that I was at a place that I just couldn't trust and rely on God either. And that's being transparent. Um, and I knew deep down that that was not the right thinking. It was upside down thinking. But now that God is bringing us through this and the opportunity that has been given to my husband and I is so amazing that now we know that the battles that we were going through was for a higher purpose. So God has taught me during all of this that I can't rely on anything but him because jobs can be taken away. Housing can be taken away. Um, you know, phones and vehicles, all these things can be taken away, but he will never go away. Mm -hmm. And it was a, it was a very, a very big lesson for us that, and it also opened up a lot of doors for ministries for us in our, in, in the community. I, I told my husband, I said, I don't ever want to be in a position where we look upon someone that's homeless on the streets and just drive on by. Or if we know someone is struggling financially with housing or groceries or anything that we, we want to be so sensitive to the Holy ghost that, that if, even if it means just stopping by with a casserole in our hand, anything to be able to minister to someone who is going through something very similar. Right. Wow. I, you know, I'm very curious that we feel like sometimes we're, we're healed from our past and then something happens that just reveals yes. a little bit more that God needs to work on. Did yes. you feel as though um, a little, I, I knew you were frustrated, but did you feel a little bit frustrated as far as having to revisit um, that trauma again or that those feelings Ab once again? Absolutely. Um, you know, I repented. Um, I really, I, I went to God and I repented and I was, I said, God, you have to forgive me. Please forgive me for being a child, for being throwing an adult sized temper tantrum because I wasn't getting what I wanted. And I felt like spiritually I was stomping off, you know, pouting and I realized that, wait a minute, this is another level of trauma that mm. has 
been healed because during my childhood, I lived a life of instability. Um, we had a very transient lifestyle. I changed schools multiple times. There was times that um, I never knew if I walked in the door of my home, if A, we had to move, B, there was nothing to eat, or C, there was no electricity. Um, you know, there was domestic violence, there was sexual abuse, um, you know, from two different family members on the course of my childhood. So there was a lot of things there. And I think that um, the spirit of rejection was, was still underneath a bunch of stuff that I hadn't realized was there. Mm -hmm. And I felt like God had rejected me. That, you know, something I had been checking my spirit. God did. Have I sinned against you? Have I thought something in my mind that that broke your heart? Have I spoken something with the wrong attitude? I was just going through trying to figure out what it was that made this huge disconnection between God and I. And in hindsight, I know there was not a disconnection. There wasn't known sin or unknown sin that had not been confessed. This was God stripping things away for a higher purpose. And one of those higher purposes was to move us to this next um, season of our life that um, required us to go through all of these things. But at the same time, here I am an advocate and a, a keynote speaker for a lot of conferences and um, a lot of uh, retreats and things. And I speak on trauma because that's one of my ministries. And I was always under the notion that if you didn't cry anymore, that you were healed. Right. And I found mm -hmm. out really fast that um, you don't necessarily have to cry or not to be healed. There can be things that are that's underlining that when God puts the pressures of life on us or allows the pressures of life to come on us, it can kind of put us in that squeezing vice grip and all those things that you thought were healed come bubbling up. Right. And way that you can determine that it's unhealed trauma is it's instant. It isn't a slow boil. It is an instant fight, flight, freeze, fawn response. And it's immobilizing. And I knew that when all of these things were happening, when I became immobilized with, um, well, my friend came over to pray with me and her words were, you're wilted. She said, you are just a crumpled mess. You were wilted. Hmm. And when she used those words, my mind went wilted, translates to triggered, which translates to rejection. Yeah. Because a child is rejected, what do they do? They wilt. Right. They kind of, um, you know, kind of close themselves in as a protection mechanism. So I realized through all of this that there was that there was some higher higher things that God was was bringing us through for a purpose, and soon we'll be able to go public on Facebook with the amazing blessing that God has opened the door for my husband and I. Um, we're super excited. Um, it's going to be a huge blessing for us and other people, but um, I have to let him do that. So I'm just kind of sitting over here chomping at the bit waiting for him to be able to say look what the lord has done mm, yeah yeah i was just thinking about the trauma response and how immediately you started thinking about what did i do wrong exactly mm -hmm. yeah i think with a lot of us who have had issues in our childhood which i'm sure we all have at some point had something happen um that 
obviously shapes how we react as adults, but where we we really sometimes put so much emphasis on our performance. And I remember that as well, being a child is my performance dictated how I was treated. And, you know, if I performed well, then I wouldn't be criticized or wouldn't be talked down to, wouldn't be verbally abused. But I also realize now that I'm an adult that a lot of those adults um, did not have that in their mind. They were going to do what they needed to do regardless of my performance. Right. Uh, But they put it on me as if it was my fault that they reacted that way. So I was just curious if that's something that you had seen. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, it's it trauma is such a difficult thing because it affects us uh, obviously in, in our childhood, but in our adult relationships, the way we perceive the world, um, everything, it, it affects everything. And one of the things that it has taught me is it didn't start with me. The trauma didn't start with me. It started with my mom and her mom and, um, and so on and so forth. And I do know that my mother's childhood was, I mean, it was so abusive. It's amazing that her and her eight siblings survived it. And so when I, it kind of teaches me grace because I realized that the trauma that I endured didn't necessarily start with my mom and she's not in church. She wasn't raised in church. Um, But just me publicly speaking about my trauma caused a trauma reaction in her and the trauma reaction in her not being Holy ghost filled and not knowing who Jesus is. She decided it was best to no longer talk to me. Um, No communication at all. We didn't, we never were able to sit down and have a conversation for me to be able to explain to her that me speaking about my childhood and the trauma was no way pointed back at you as that I, I'm mad at you or I blame you or I'm angry at you or I'm bitter towards you or unforgiving, unloving. It is just the facts of my life. These are the facts of my childhood. And she reacted I guess the same way that I would have reacted in my unhealed state. So I am now in a position where I am leaving that, that up to God. I am covering her in prayer. And if she chooses not to speak to me, then um, that's the choice that she has made. But I know that God has dealt with me and specifically impressed upon my spirit that my childhood needs to be talked about because a lot of people want to find out where I came from. They want to know where God found me. They want to know um, how I ended up in, um, you know, risque magazines and things like that. Mm -hmm. And God, God explained to me, you know, in my spirit, I cannot give half of my story. I can't just say, yes, I did these horrible things and I made these horrible choices that impacted my life, they need to know that I didn't just wake up one day and say, gee, I think I'm going to strip off all my clothes and I'm going to pose nude in, in a magazine 
they need to know that trauma from a, tr- a traumatic childhood impacts us in different ways. Meaning that just because I didn't choose alcoholism or drug addiction um, or, or abusing my children, what the trauma did to me is it made me hypersexual vigilant where I thought that my worth and my value came from something that was sexualized. Right. And that's where that choice came from. So I think that triggers in general just have an overall impact on everyone, but maybe differently depending on the trauma inflicted. And that lastly, it didn't start with me. didn't start with you. It started somewhere. And until one of us stops and says, wait a minute here, um, I need to recognize my own trauma, recognize my own triggers, and recognize the choices that come from those triggers. It's going to continue through our children and our grandchildren and so forth. Right. Right. That's definitely something to think of. And it it is sad when you do have family members, especially your parents, um, who are not healed, as you put it, which is perfect, a perfect way to think about it, because it's true. It allows us to have compassion for them, and God truly changes our viewpoint and our hearts um, towards those um, yeah. family members um, or people in our life who can't accept our story because they feel it's a reflection on them. And I do realize that in an online space, everybody wants to share everything. Um, but we do have to be careful how we share it. And if we do it in a respectful way that still honors the truth, then God will have to take care of everything else. And I I, I remember specifically sharing something as well um, about my story. And I had an ex-fiance just messaged me and, you know, kind of chewed me out that I was sharing this part of the story. And I remember the Lord really giving me the right words to say, but is it true? And he couldn't, and he did not have a response for that. Right. So I understand it's hard for you to hear, and maybe it's hard for me to share publicly. And you didn't want me to share that part of the story. And I didn't call names, but it's kind of in context. Um, but it it was the truth. And it's very hard to hear the truth when a lot of people are on survival mode. They don't want to hear the truth because it makes them stop to face things. And right. and a lot of us thrive in that survival mode because that's all we've ever known. And so if we have to stop and actually look at everything as the facts, our whole dream world that we kind of create in our mind that everything's okay, we're fine, kind of implodes on itself. But for those who have gone through a lot of traumatic things in their childhood, um, when they see the truth and they see Jesus, he brings things to light so that they can be dealt with so that he can heal us. It's not to glorify the evil or to glorify what has happened. And that's very hard for unhealed people to hear and to handle. Yes. Yes, I agree. I agree. Um, I am confident that eventually God will work in her life and 
things will come full circle, but right now it's not the right season. And mm-hmm. it's already prepared me for the moment that when that happens, that, you know, one time heals all things and love co- covers a multitude of sin. And for me, there is no unforgiveness there. There's no bitterness. There is no blaming. Um, she needs grace. She needs love. She needs mercy. And she needs to see and feel who God really is. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So I'm curious, how old were you when you came into the church? What was that like for you that season? When I came into the church, I was in my early 40s. Um, So I've been in church 10 years, maybe 11 years. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I am what my extended family labels as an occult and crazy, insane, cuckoo, fell off my rocker, you know, that kind of thing. Of course, of course. Um, Yeah, yeah. we all are. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, So I'm kind of the crazy one that has kind of fallen off the sanity wagon. Um, But I was in my 40s and this is a crazy God moment that I feel that it's pretty imperative to share. Um. I was sitting at home by myself. My kids were at school and jobs and things like that. And now, mind you, I was not in church at that time. Mm -hmm. I was, you know, a matter of fact, I was someone who prayed when things got hard, but it wasn't even a pray. It was a, please, Jesus, get me out of this mess and I'll never do it again. That kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, But I didn't know who God was. I had no idea. I had an idea of who he was, I guess. I can't say no idea. I had an idea because I had bounced around from uh, being a Catholic growing up to jumping into being a fundamental Baptist in my adult years and then jumped into non-denominational. So I know I was definitely in and out of churches throughout my life and searching for something. And one day I was home by myself and I share this story often because, you know, when I get people that ask me questions about my preference of modesty and it can be a touchy subject with a lot of people and, you know, I'll hear things from people like, well, you know, you, you only are dressing this way because um, you came into a oneness church and they are forcing you to do these things and it's a cult and all this crazy stuff. And I like to share this truth. And the truth is this, when I was at home by myself one day, at that time, I thought I was going crazy. I really did think I was losing my mind. But now that I look back, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that it was the, the Holy Spirit, Holy, the Holy Ghost pressing on me and whispering to me and prodding me and pushing me and directing me because there is no other explanation. But I was at home in one of my most prized possessions in my life at that time was these fancy, expensive blue jeans. I had them pressed. I mean, they had their own shelving. Um, Some of them were $250 a piece. I mean, these were my God. They were were the most important thing to me ever. Mm -hmm. And that sounds silly, but coming from the industry and things that I did, um, looking... Uh, put together and I, I don't know any other way to say this other than provocative dress. That was, sure. that was you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So these jeans were the, they, I mean, they were just my price possession. And one day, one afternoon I was at home 
by myself. And all of a sudden I got this, I don't know if I want to use the word urge compulsion. I don't know what it was, but I, next thing I know, I found myself going into my closet, removing all these jeans off their shelvings. And, um, I, I, I sewed quite a bit and I sat down in my living room floor and I took a seam ripper and I started ripping the inseams out of these jeans. And as I'm ripping the inseams out, I'm knowing how crazy it is that I'm doing this, but I'm ripping the inseams out and then I'm stacking them to the right of me. And when I'm saying stacking at a quick remembrance, I probably had 20 pairs, maybe 30. I don't know. And I'm going through and I'm ripping these jeans and my oldest son, Micah comes through the door and he looks at me and he goes, Hey mom. And then he stops and he looks at me and he says, what are you doing? And I knew it sounded crazy, but I, I told him what I was doing. I said, I am, I am turning my jeans into skirts. And Mm. he kind of looked at me and hesitated. And he said, are you okay? You know, he was generally concerned. I said, yes, I'm, I'm okay. And he said, mom, you do realize nobody. Now you have to remember, you know, my children were raised, you know, by me, a single mom for most of their life. So they did not have any church background either. So he's looking at me and he says, mom, you know that nobody wears skirts anymore like that, right? Mm. Said, okay, yeah, sure. And I just kept on. And he kind of walked away, but you could tell he was perplexed. He was concerned. He didn't know what to think. And from that moment on, I just started wearing skirts and I had no, no church background at that point. So I had left that situation and I found a Baptist church and I started attending there, but it didn't, it didn't quite feel right. I don't know how to explain that. So fast forwarding a little bit, I did that for over a year, excuse me. And then I eventually got an invitation to, by a friend to attend their church service. And it was on a Wednesday. And I was, remember I was so conflicted because I thought, wow, if I go to her church on Wednesday, then I'm going to be missing my service at my Baptist church. And I was really conflicted. And finally, um, I called my pastor at that time and I told him that I had an invitation to go with my friend to her church on a Wednesday and I was going to go ahead and go. He was totally fine with it. He didn't ask me where I was going. And that was my first time that I walked into an apostolic Pentecostal oneness church. And I sat there for a month. And when I heard the pastor talking about um, Acts 2.38, baptism in Jesus name, I remember sitting on the pew and I thought, wow, I've been dipped in a lake. I have been baptized, um, you know, in a, in a jacuzzi. I have been sprinkled in the Catholic church and the devil almost talked me out of it. Cause I remember sitting there rationalizing, well, I've been baptized so many different ways. I'm, I'm okay. Mm-hmm. But then pushing and nodding and pushing and nodding. And then as soon as that service was over, I walked up to that pastor and I said, I think I need to be rebaptized. And so that they scheduled it for that following Sunday. And uh, I was baptized in Jesus name. And as soon as my face broke that water, I was speaking in tongues. And I remember after the service, we were all heading over to the gymnasium in the church where we were having a potluck. And that pastor jogged his way to me in the foyer when I was putting my wet clothes away in a, in a bag. And he said, sister, I want to, I want to talk to you about something. And I said, sure. 
he said, I have been, you know, in ministry for over, I don't know how many years he was suggesting, but he said, I have been in ministry a long time. And he said, I have never in my entire ministry life have ever witnessed someone speaking in tongues before their face broke the water. And I said, what do you mean? He said, I saw your mouth moving under the water before your face emerged out of it. Mm. And he said, I have to tell you this with all sincerity. He said, God has been chasing you down for a very, very long time. And from that moment on, I have never looked back. I have never looked back. And it's been, it's been a wild ride. It's come with a lot of storms and a lot of trials and hills and valleys. And um, I don't know how I did it without God. And I don't know to this day how people do life without God. Mm -hmm. It has been the most rewarding experience of my life. So when people, you know, joke around and they say, well, your church makes you dress this way. Um, you know, they make excuses and, and things and assumptions. You know, I think to myself, if, if I could just have a few minutes with you to tell you that, that God spoke to me that day, he was dealing with me personally about dressing modestly. And that was long before I was baptized in Jesus name. That was long before I was ever going to church. And yeah. so I know for a fact that God was dealing with me on that. That was not something that uh, a church put on me or a pastor demanded of me um, or an organization said I have to. It was God that was dealing with me about that. And then right. my side of that is, you know, being baptized in Jesus name. I had been baptized many different ways in my life. And that particular time was the first time that I had ever experienced God like truly experienced the spirit of God. That was the mm. first in my life. I had never been in, you know, remember I'd sat in that church for a month before I got baptized. Um, and, you know, it, it was crazy because I wasn't, I was never raised around people speaking in tongues. Right. So speaking in tongues was something that, you know, someone may say, well, you, you learned it by ear and that's why you did it. They can't say that to me because I was not around it long enough to be able to master that, whatever you want to call it, to be able to mimic what speaking in tongues, what it, this whole thing was completely foreign to me completely. And I thank God to this day for it. Mm -hmm. Right. That's powerful. I'm over here in tears. That's just, this is what God does is yeah. he, he searches our heart and he knew what was your God in your heart. And he speaks to us and he works on us before church usually even becomes a question. Um, and, you know, man, that phrase that God is chasing you, mm -hmm. I think that's just so powerful in so many different ways, especially with your background and probably always feeling rejected mm -hmm. to realizing that like, wow, he's not going to reject me. Yes. And I think understanding too that God has to work through all of that with us. And thankfully, He doesn't just hand us salvation and walk away. He continually works with us and is with us every step of the way. 
And like you said, I, I, I agree. I don't know how anybody does, does life without him. And I feel like those of us, um, cause I also was not uh, raised in church. I have a Catholic background as well. And I think we have a, just a unique perspective on some things where, um, we know that, um, trusting in God does take time with those of us who have baggage and that that might be something we revisit over Mm -hmm. and over again. But the beautiful thing about the Lord is we can never exhaust his mercy and his resources and his love. He will continually be there for us when we, when we need him and I just, I just want to thank you for sharing that. I, that's just so beautiful and so powerful. And, um, I guess I just want to ask, like, how did you, how did you know? Maybe that's not the right way to phrase it. Um, when was the moment that you knew that you would be sharing this testimony to give him the glory? That's a struggle. Um, I want to say that it was, excuse me, I want to say it was really, I hate to use the word forced, but, but that's kind of what it was because you have to remember, I came from a background of being shamed a lot for my thoughts and um, my innermost feelings and experiences. Mm -hmm. So it was very hard for me to share anything, especially things that I had done wrong in my life, because much like you said, you know, our survival meant how good or how bad we did. Were we going to be criticized or were, were we going to be praised? And in my personal situation, I was never praised. So it became an issue of either do the right thing or do what they expect me to do. So that I don't get just emotionally and mentally and verbally beat down, um, you know, because that was the only way to survive. So I remember the first time my pastor had asked me on a Wednesday night, we were giving our testimonies. And as soon as he said he was going to call on each of us, because it was a very small group on a Wednesday night. Um, and he wanted us to share our personal testimony. I literally felt like, um, I, I broke out in hives, anxiety hit me. I was almost hyperventilating and it's not because I was a shy person because I'm, I'm not a shy person. I was just immediately, my mind was thinking if these people in this room, if these, cause in my mind coming from the world, these were perfect people. They were right. perfect. people. they were at the top mm-hmm. of perfection to me. And I thought if these people know what I did, where I came from, they're going to reject me too. That was really as an adult, what my battle was sitting there. And my pastor, I, I think God must have nudged him a little bit before it was my turn because he opened the door for my testimony and, and he didn't do that for anyone else. And he said, um, I want you know, sister Jacqueline to come up and give her testimony tonight. He said, you know, she has been through a lot in her life and 
Uh, do you know that you're sitting in a room with a former Playboy bunny? And I like to dive and, and bless his heart. I know that he wasn't <laughs> meaning it that way, but I literally like to dive because yeah. I, I am new in church at this point, newly baptized. And I am so on fire for God. Every time those doors were open, I don't care what the reason was. I was there. I was there. And I remember going up front to talk on that microphone. And I remember I didn't have any spit in my mouth. I was just, I was a mess. And that was the first time that I ever openly opened my mouth about my testimony. And then when I met my now husband, who is a minister, I mean, who would have thought that five years after I was baptized in Jesus name, that God was going to pair me up with a a pastor who, you know, who does that, but God, right. I remember thinking, okay, I'm talking to this man. We are in active communication. So I have got to tell him everything because, you know, to me, he's a pastor. What if my past is too much or will bring condemnation on his church? That's how my mind was thinking. Yeah. So, I had a conversation with him and I said, okay, we're both adults here. So we need, I need to give you the good, bad, the ugly, and you can decide if it's too much or if it's it's just not okay. And as I told him my story, um, he was unmoved. He was completely unmoved. And he said to me, and I'll never forget these words. He said, everybody has a past. He said, the difference is you are so vibrantly, unaware that people in church also have major things that went on in their life. And he said, you're such a newbie in church, uh, you know, that you don't realize that you are giving a voice to the unthinkable. And a lot of people in church are too afraid to give a voice to their unthinkable because they're raised in church and they don't want the raised eyebrow or they're feeling like someone may look at them differently. Mm -hmm. And he's, so young in the church that you're just like a big puppy dog on, on roller skates and and you don't know any better. And he said, and that my dear is going to be your most powerful ministry. And that point on, um, I, I still battle. My husband just brought my past up my, my testimony when he was preaching, um, someone else's church a few weeks ago. And I felt myself slink in the chair again. As soon as he said, playboy, I wanted to die. And because mm-hmm. uh, I still suffer with that rejection thing. Sure. And um, one of the other ministers came up to me after the service and he was in modeling as well before he was in church and he was a male model. And he said, uh, Sister Jay, he goes, I know you, I could read your body language. And he said, I know you felt uncomfortable, like all eyes were on you. He said they were on you. He said, but not in the way you were thinking. He said, um, it's very admirable to me that you have been down the path that you have been down. And he said, had your husband not told the congregation a little brief history on your past life, he said, I would have never guessed that you were not raised in church. He said, God did an amazing thing in you. Yeah. I think that's the biggest thing is um, getting over our own perception Because we can back ourselves into a corner thinking that people are against us, but nobody's even doing it. (laughs) Right. right. Um, And it is powerful that 
you used to be this type of person at one point in your life. A Playboy bunny, obviously, uh, in culture, is a big icon. However, that is a huge testimony of of God's mercy that nobody is off the table. That's right. He wants, he wants all of us. Amen. And the way that the world is now and the things that young people are being exposed to now, that testimony is going to be huge in this generation. Yes. Which I often struggle with because I see, um, you know, I come into church in, in a different, I guess I view things differently. As you said earlier, we, we do tend to view things differently when we come from a traumatic background and coming into church. I, I sometimes will walk away out of different situations, different church functions and district meetings and things. And I'll, I'll walk away and I'll, I'll just, I'll feel heavy in my spirit. And my husband and I have had this conversation so many times and this is not directed. I want to say this, this is not directed at any one specific person. This is just a generalization, but there's times that we will leave certain uh, church events. And, and I will say, honey, I feel so, I feel so heavy in my spirit. I just want to cry. And he said, well, what, what is it? What has got you so burdened? And I'll say, you know, there's always a handful of girls, young girls. I've even mm-hmm. seen middle aged women, even pastor's wives that have, I don't know any other way to put it other than to say that they have snuck in or think they are sneaking in a little bit of the world Mm. to their appearance. And, you know, I'll just feel so burdened with it. And I'll say, honey, they don't understand that they are trying to sneak in a little bit of the devil and that little bit of the devil is what I spent my whole life battling and fighting and begging God to pull me out of. Wow. Yeah. Right. And it's just, to me, I just, and it's such a touchy subject because um, people can get downright upset and nasty about it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, um, I'll, you know, I, I, it just breaks my heart because I'm going, you don't need to try to wear foundation and, and think that no one's going to notice because people like me, I lived in that industry. I can spot your makeup on the other side of the, of the room. I can see Correct. it when you're warm, you know, mm-hmm. um, or, or you don't need to wear clothes that tight. You know, you can be right. beautiful and godly without accentuating every single detail of your figure, just little things like that. Um, and you know, and, and it breaks my heart because I just want to grab everyone and say, please listen to me. You are not missing anything out there. There isn't any tube of lipstick. There isn't any tight skirt. There isn't anything that you can do that is going to help you. If you're getting it from out there, it's going to drag you down. It's going to destroy your soul. And please listen to me. I've been there, done that. I've lived it. I've been bathed in it, baked in it, sauteed, flipped, dwelled in it. Yeah. And it, it's, 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 there's nothing good that's going to come out of it. And that's mm-hmm. where a lot of my, my testimony isn't just on trauma. It's a big part of it, but that's the other side of it is please, you don't need wild rose lipstick. You don't need it. You don't need it. I'm telling you, you don't need it. Um, yeah. And I 
want to love these people and just say, please listen to me. You know, if, if I was a drug, a drug dealer and, um, and a drug addict, and then I recovered and I saw you sneaking in just a little bit of drugs, I can't just stand by and knowing that these things are going to destroy you spiritually. I've got to say something. I've got to wake you up in love, of course, in compassion and grace, but I can't just let my sister fall on the wayside. Right. Yeah. That's a really good analogy. And I do think that um, many of us have a heightened awareness to these things because these were things that we literally had to put on the altar and we had to give to God. And I remember I was just sharing um, this with my boys because they're being raised in church. And um, just to reiterate to them that I don't have the same story as them and and their story is going to be different than me, and that's okay. But, you know, letting them know there was at one point I had such a conviction over my nail polish. Mm-hmm. And I used to have, you know, like in the 90s, there was like the paint can of like the mini nail polishes. Yes. And I, I had one of those in my apartment within the first six months of me being saved. Uh, this was in probably 2007 was when I was saved. And I remember thinking... I'm not going to gift them to anybody. Why would I give them away and encourage this? Right. Yes. So in my mind, I remember some people telling me, well, just give them away. And um, there might have been some people in the church even saying that. And I'm like, but why would I give them away if I don't, if I feel God doesn't want me to wear it? Why would I encourage somebody else to wear it? So I had to actually grab a big trash bag and I just threw it in the trash bag and just the weight that just lifts off of you when you realize I don't have to worry about this part anymore. That's right. Amen. It's, this is just another, another thing that's weighing us down. Um, whether it's vanity or something deeper, um, we don't have to hold on to that. And I understand everybody has their own convictions and everybody's on their own journey. I get that part of it, but yes. I do understand God has given, you know, you, and um, different people who have gone through some things, a unique perspective to almost be that voice in the wilderness, not trying to edify us, but just saying that to kind of cut through all of this gray area because there's so much gray area. And if it's going to put the focus on you, then it's not holy. And if it's going to make you... uh so self-conscious about your image when you really should be focusing on God, then we have to just get rid of it and throw it away. Absolutely. And the best thing, the the best way that I I like to explain this is while we're busy putting our sins on the altar, there's other people around us that we're dropping them off the altar and they're rushing around around us to pick them up and leave with them. Mm. To me, it's, no different again if I stop smoking and I stop drinking and just like your nail polish, you know, and instead of me throwing them away, I said, well, you know what, this is a brand new pack of Marlboros and this is a brand new fifth of Jack Daniels. So I can't really throw those away. So I'm going to go hand them to somebody else. Hmm. You know, it's no different than the nail polish to me anyway. Um, I'm not going to hand off something to someone else that I know God is, is not pleased with for me to have. Mm-hmm. Now, if they choose to pick up those things on their own someplace else, 
then I am free from that burden, but I'm not hand those things off to someone else. And much like you, um, you know, giving up uh, cosmetics was never a problem for me. Um, My problem was hair dye. That was my biggest obstacle was my hair dye because I didn't know anything else. I had been dyeing my hair blonde since I was 14 years old. And uh, then when I got into the modeling career, it became blonder and blonder till it was almost white blonde. And I had been in church um, probably seven years at this point, six years before God finally dealt with me on it. And I said, okay, God, okay, I'm going to do this. I was terrified. I was really terrified because I didn't know who I was without it. It was part of my identity. And I stopped dyeing my hair. I remember I looked in the mirror one day and I'm pulling up my freshly grown in roots and I just start bawling and crying. And my daughter comes around the corner. She says, mom, what's wrong? Are you okay? And I said, look, I don't know how to deal with this. I have gray hair. And she starts laughing, you know, not making fun of me, but just laughing because I was just so, so bent out of shape over a natural thing. Mm -hmm. But had been taught living in the world that aging is bad. You know, um, if you have hair, you cover that stuff up. And I had to really um, seek God on that and say, God, okay, I know what your word says about, um, about gray hair, um, white hair. I know, but I need you to help me get through this transition. And now I've been die free all of this time. And now I'm just used to it. But that was one of the things that God dealt with me on in the very end. And then finally came the tanning. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with hair dye. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with with tanning. I'm just putting that disclaimer out there. I'm just saying for me personally, those were things that were, that were um, part of my identity in the world of who I was world. So Mm -hmm. by me giving those things away and they seem so foolish, like who cares if you dye your hair, who cares if you tan or who cares if you're, you know, wearing polish or whatever. But for me, it was a direct tie in that I'm still hanging on to an identity that got buried. And so those things I gave up and it was a very difficult transition, but I made the transition and it was a sacrifice that I made for God. And for the first time in my life, I remember walking into a buffet here in Texas last summer and I was dressed like I normally dress, had my hair like I normally wear it. I was tan free, dye free, all of those things. And I'm getting chicken off the buffet line. And this beautiful black woman comes up to me that I never met in my life. And she leans into my ear and which startled me at first. And she leans into my ear. She said, okay, I see you woman of God. And she Mm -hmm. winked and walked away. So I'm thinking, oh my goodness. You know, I have finally, sorry. I have finally arrived at a place that in my new identity. I am now where God originally wanted me to be. I have now Mm -hmm. got, I've now laid aside my old identity completely and I'm walking in his identity now. Um, And now I'm obvious to other people. mm -hmm. That's beautiful. That's what it's about. That's what it's about. Um, He gives us a new identity. We're supposed to be a new creature in Christ. And, um, I think sometimes when you've been in church a while, you think that you're, you know, you're missing out on something or 
you let your insecurities kind of get the best of you, but, um, you know, and we're not trying to obviously shame those who feel this way, but like, we're just trying to share the truth of, of what we've been through. And of course, what sister Jay has been through and hopefully that will, you should ask yourself, why do I do this? Exactly. That's really like, why, why is this so important that I just can't, stop doing it and it's really the motive of the situation if the motive is not founded on your relationship with god then it's something that you might want to reconsider absolutely and that's one thing my husband will say a lot when he's you know um speaking in different events and churches and things and he will always say you know hey if somebody is struggling with anything in their walk if you are a woman and you are struggling with identity you're struggling with anything please come see my wife please come see my wife. And, um, you know, and I love to minister to women because nine times out of 10, it's an insecurity that just needs love. Yes, I agree. It just needs to be loved on, you know, Hey, you know what? Encourage you. You're beautiful. You're beautiful. Um, you know, you don't need this, that, or the other, you know, um, it's just, it's a love, it's a love thing. You have to love. Sometimes you love insecurities away and that's really seems simple, but that's what it boils down to. Right. Amen. I love that. Okay, Sister Jay, I would love it if you would just take a couple minutes to maybe encourage somebody out there, a young woman who is struggling with her identity, with letting go of maybe the certain beauty standards that she has adopted, or uh, somebody who is trying to trust God and is struggling because of you know past trauma. How would you encourage this young woman? I would say find someone, find another lady in your church even sometimes if you don't have a lady in church that that you can think of right away reach out to someone on social media i've had so many women reach out to me privately on different issues that you know i'm saying hey i'm not your pastor's wife and make sure that you get permission from your pastor's wife or your pastor before um i give you any guidance but i would suggest that find someone in your church find a woman in your church if it's not your pastor's wife find someone preferably that's deeply rooted in church that has walked through many trials and and different, um, you know, things in life and spend time with them, get to know them. Um, I don't want to use the word sit at their feet, but yes, sit at their feet and be a sponge. Um, You know, tell them your struggles so that they know where to pray, how to pray and emulate that person. Learn how that person prays, learn how that person fasts, learn everything you can from that woman of God that is maybe in a different place and a different time in her walk that she can say, hey, sis, let me encourage you. I will be your keeper. I will help you walk this walk. Hold my hand. Take my hand. We're going to do this together. Amen. I love that so much. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story. I'm encouraged and um i can't wait to hear you know testimonies from the listeners i know that this is going to impact somebody out there um if you could just let everybody know where they can find you on social media and um if they could uh search for your church online where could they find that okay i cannot release the name of our church just yet Um, That's coming publicly very soon because we are in a transitional phase right now with church. Um, But I can say that if you go on my Facebook under Jacqueline St. Clair, and it has the dot after the ST, and just look on my about on my uh, information page on Facebook, and it'll have all of my different um, 
ways you can connect with me socially from Instagram to um, Linktree and anything in between. Thank and you I so much. My, um, I'm sorry. It has my email and my phone number on there too. If someone needs to get a hold of me that way. Awesome. Thank you so much, Sister Jay, for being with me on the podcast. Thank you. I enjoyed it. God bless. If you found this episode inspiring or helpful, would you take a screenshot of it and share it on your Instagram stories, tagging me at Hello Awesome Live? I would be so encouraged. Also, please leave a five-star review in iTunes or Apple Podcasts, sharing how God used this to bless you. Until next time, Keep your chin up beautiful.